Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, for the pro- the parables that you give us, and that in it is uh, truth that is right there like treasure hidden just below the surface, and so that our eyes might be opened to what you would have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Kansas is one of those bands that, I don't know, I mean, you might have your own opinions. I don't really think that they're all that great. Um, except they have a pretty amazing story and testimony that they, um, a couple of the band members ended up becoming Christians at the height of their career. And it caused a lot of problems in the band. Uh, and what fascinates me about that is the question, uh, how did they become Christians? You know, how do you, uh, because, you know, that, that doesn't seem to be a real fertile field for ministry uh, these days. Um, and it's, it, from the, a worldly perspective, has only gotten worse. And this morning, I, I'd like for us to talk about um, the band members of Kansas and others like them. And I think that uh, the parable that says it best is the parable of the prodigal son. And if you've uh, read Tim Keller's book, or if you've read, anyth- read, read anything by Ken Bailey, uh, I borrow from them liberally. Uh, but it's something that's been on my heart uh, recently, uh, the issue of um, the crowds that followed Jesus, uh, who really were flocking around him, and uh, why is the opposite true today? Why is the opposite true today? Uh, so let's read the parable of the prodigal son. And um, again, if you're looking in your Bible, you see all these little headings that say the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coins, the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, Jesus didn't say, and now the parable of the prodigal son. Right? Jesus actually didn't entitle any of these. The editors later on added them. And in fact, uh, it probably shouldn't be called the parable of the prodigal son. It should probably be called the parable of the two lost brothers. Um, and if you know what the word prodigal means, the word prodigal means uh, to be recklessly extravagant uh, and to mean having spent everything. Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and let the cat out of the bag because what you find in the story is the person who is the prodigal, the one that gives everything up, is actually the dad. The dad is the one who actually gives everything up. So it would be fair to say that the father is the prodigal, but really it's the parable of the two sons. And whenever you read this, always start, even though it starts at 15:11, always start at 15:1 and 2 and then skip to 11. So hear this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And now he launches into the parables. Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and it began to be a need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed his pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, 
Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And bring a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The word of the Lord. Okay, so, Charles, uh, no pictures, please. No flash photography. Uh, what? My hair is crazy today, so don't do that. Lauren's out of town. Lauren's out of town. So anyway, um, she doesn't do my hair, but she knows like, whoa, 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 whoa. That wasn't meant to be funny. Jesus is saying there are two kinds of people in the world today around us. And the funny thing about this parable is probably every, well, maybe you've been lucky, but most sermons that you hear on this parable, what is, what is it that you heard preached? What is it that you hear preached? The younger brother, right? You hear about the younger brother and you kind of imagine, you know, all those sinners and tax collectors around Jesus with tears in their eyes. And, you know, this is such a lovely, uh, beautiful uh, sermon. And this is just a parable. Wonderful, great stuff. And yet, um, really, Jesus is targeting what audience with this parable? Who is he addressing? The Pharisees. The Pharisees and the scribes, right? That's who he's actually addressing this parable to. So really, his emphasis is on the other brother, the older one. That's who he's talking to. Now, at the same time, what he's saying, though, is that, look, there are two kinds of people in the world, which means... You've got younger brothers and you've got older brothers, which means also that there are two different ways to be alienated from God. And there are also two different ways to seek acceptance into God's kingdom. So you've got the younger brother who um, has just kind of gone off the deep end and has uh, squandered away what his father gave him. And uh, he's just crazy and, uh, you know, rehearses his speech and comes back. Uh, and is restored. So on the one hand, you've got people who go way off the deep end and, um, and who think that they can get back in uh, sort of by uh, ingratiating themselves uh, and even earning their way back in uh, just a little bit like the younger son tried to do. But we find that the older brother, too, is just as alienated from God because, of course, the father figure in the parable is God. Uh, and he is just as alienated from God as the younger brother, but uh, in a totally different way, in a totally different way. And in fact, is really ticked off at the dad 
for being so graceful and loving toward the younger son. Now, these sinners and tax collectors were um, not uh, really, uh, the sinners and tax collectors that were flocking to Jesus were becoming the majority group that were gathering around him. And of course, they correspond uh, to the younger brother. And yet, those who were on the ebb uh, were the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who represent, uh, the older brother represents them. And you hear in 15.1, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and that is that they were gathering. Uh, That was the group that was growing. Right, remember the Pharisees and tax. I mean, the Pharisees and the the teachers of the law. Uh, they were willing to to go out and they heard Jesus. And even early on, when you read Jesus' Gospels, those are the people who are coming up to Jesus and asking him questions like Nicodemus and and uh, and John chapter three. And when Jesus clears the temple of the money changers, uh, they get really excited because they think finally a guy who speaks our language. And now all of their hopes are being dashed because their idea of Jesus is not. Uh, the, who he is and their idea of who he is are two different things. And they are grumbling at the fact that all these sinners are gathering around him and they don't like it uh, one bit. Well, they didn't like the fact that they were gathering out, but even worse was that he was eating with them. Now, in the Middle East, if you eat with somebody, that's a big deal. So if you're ever over there, be very careful. Uh, I went to Tunisia with a friend once, and we were down on the edge of the Sahara Desert. We went on Camelback Inn, and on the way back, there was an oasis there. And there was this guy who came up to us who heard us speaking English, and he learned to speak English through listening to the BBC World Service. So it was, he had sort of a news, an Arabic newscaster voice. And, um, and he, um, very kind, and he wanted to speak English. You know, I don't get a lot of English speakers around here. Uh, this is post 9-11, where you could find cheap airfare to the Arab world. Um, and uh, so there we were, and we went back to his home and, and had a meal and uh, drank some tea and some coffee with him. And then we were getting up to go, and, and he wanted to follow us out. And my friend was really put out by this and said, look, thank you for your hospitality, but we really have to go. And the guy's response was, but we ate together. But we ate together, which means like your family. It's, it's a pretty, pretty big deal. And so Jesus is not only, you know, it's one thing to have him in the congregation, but it's another thing to have them over for dinner or to go over to their house for dinner. So he's even associating himself with them. And uh, the reaction of the Pharisees is uh, indignation. Uh, and they're not happy it all with him. And so the emphasis in this parable is toward the older brother types, the Pharisees and the scribes. And um, the response that they had was not one of this is so sweet and kind and gentle and lovely, uh, but they were bowled over by it. Uh, They had, uh, it wasn't heartwarming, but it was in fact uh, shattering. And what Jesus was saying to them was both the religious and the irreligious are spiritually lost. Those that were hearing him that considered themselves religious and those who didn't feel like they had any affiliation. The most recent survey came out in America that um, the people, the number is really growing that consider themselves nothing, spiritually speaking. 
um, that don't identify themselves as any denomination, much less Protestant or Catholic, uh, but uh, and not really even atheists, just nothing. Nothing. And um, that being the case, if that's the background for the parable for those who are listening, Jesus has a ton of people around him. And in modern society, I guess the equivalent would be uh, those who are on the outskirts of the church, those who say, uh, you know, I like Jesus, but I don't like the church. All right. That's the group that Jesus is attracting. The people who say, look, I, I like Jesus, but I really don't like the church. Now, Jesus is on to something here, too, because I think that it... Uh, that it's generally true, uh, the issue of birth order. Um, I'm an oldest born child, and so I can easily relate uh, to the older brother. And in our culture, uh, there are a lot of uh, younger brothers, uh, we all have them, who, um, you know, um, my youngest brother, uh, I think I've told you the joke, um, was a music major at several colleges and universities throughout the southeastern United States. Um, It's very funny, he says, I've matriculated here, 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 and uh, but the joke is, is Christopher, what is the difference between uh, a music major and a large pepperoni pizza? A large pepperoni pizza can feed a family of four. Um, <laughs> and, um, and so, um, but you know, he, uh, right now his thing is he wants to, he just wants to go all out to, to veil and hang out. Like that's his thing, sort of go with the flow. And um, when it comes to, to moral issues, my brother is sort of, uh, he's, he sees them as sort of highly complex things. They're not really black and white. They're sort of gray. He's suspicious of any individual or institution that would claim moral authority uh, over his life. All right? Anybody or anything that would tell him what to do, he wants nothing to do with it. And he thinks, look, you're trying to reduce something that is highly complicated, like my wanting to go to Vail and just goof off. Um, or to surf during Hurricane Sandy. He's on his way now to the East Coast uh, to surf. And so prepared. My other notes are my funeral notes. I'm kidding. No, he's, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. Um, he's done enough, enough of that. Uh, whereas the older brother type in our culture uh, is mortified and, and taken back by that sort of attitude of moral relativism, and uh, there's often an impetus to take back the culture that when you listen to the radio and, or watch the news, uh, you, you hear these stories and you think, we're going to hell in a handbasket. You know, what, what are we going to do about it? How can we, how can we stand firm? And, uh, and that's not just true of today. It was true of Jesus' day because that's the type of personality uh, that Jesus is dealing with. And people really haven't changed in thousands and thousands of years. Uh, the way that their personalities uh, and the way that sin might manifest itself in their lives uh, might be different. Uh, and yet, um, the only thing that I feel like we've advanced in is society has given me more opportunities to sin. We can be a little more creative. Um, but uh, when it comes to older brother and younger brother types, it feels like um, not much has changed. And so the older brother types are actually getting really upset with Jesus. And yet, there's something about Jesus that attracts the younger brother types to him. So they're all, you know, they're, they're leaving... Um, you know, they're leaving Montana, they're leaving um, Seattle, and they're coming to hear Jesus. And so Jesus tells this parable, 
And in light of all that I've said in that culture and in this culture, whose side is Jesus on? No one's. Jesus not, he's not on either of their sides. Uh, because again, he sees them both as spiritually lost and both trying to create a false ladder to heaven. And yet, in this parable, even though he's not taking anyone's side, he singles out moralism as a particularly deadly condition. He actually singles that out because it's actually a little more poisonous than even the licentious younger brother. Now, this is one of those things that actually made people gasp about Christianity. Right? Uh, and you know, the irony in it of, of all of this is, um, do you know that if you go back and there are books, I'll, I'll loan you, they're, they're great reads late at night if you're having a hard time sleeping, but you can read uh, Roman writings about the Christians. And do you know what the Romans called Christians early on? Atheists. They called Christians atheists. Well, why? Well, if a Roman comes and talks to a Christian, they say, hey, uh, I see that you know, you've got some sort of religious system. Where, where's your temple? Well, we don't have a temple. Well, what? If you don't have a temple, where, where do your priests work? Oh, we don't, we don't really have priests. Uh, but if you don't have what about sacrifices? I mean, what about sacrifices for your sin? Oh, no, no, we, we, don't, we don't do that because there was one sacrifice once and for all on the cross through Jesus. And so they're saying, look, you don't have a temple, you don't have priests, you don't have a sacrificial system. Uh, y'all are a bunch of atheists. Right? You're, you're the non-religion. Right? And that's what Christianity was known as. It wasn't known as a religion. It was known as the non-religion because the Christian could say, uh, we have a high priest who... Uh, mediates on our behalf and sits at the right hand of the Father. Uh, we have uh, no uh, temple because the veil has been torn in two. And in fact, uh, God dwells within the hearts of his believers. And on Calvary, he paid the price for our sins once and for all. So we don't need a sacrificial system. And the Romans thought this was crazy talk. They thought it was crazy. And yet today, how is Christianity viewed? Moralistic, organized religion, um, and the alternative to Christianity is more often than not seen as sort of a, you know pluralistic secularism. And so the perception of the world <coughs> has changed as well of how they viewed Christianity early on and how the world views Christianity now, especially by those who are on the outside uh, looking in. And so in Jesus' day, uh, it was the religious folks, those who were the button-down conservatives, the, the older brothers, who were the most offended and the most outraged uh, by him. And, um, and yet uh, it was the religiously estranged uh, that were attracted to him. And that was the narrative of Jesus' ministry. Uh, those are the people. Uh, lots of examples. Zacchaeus. Remember little Zacchaeus? who um, uh, was a tax collector and climbed up in uh, the sycamore tree. And uh, if you ever go to Jericho, don't, don't be duped into giving somebody $2 to see the tree he climbed up in, because it's not the real tree. Uh, it's gigantic. It's a gigantic sycamore, but it's not real. Um, 
but anyway, uh, he climbed up there, and Jesus, all these religious officials had planned on him coming into town, and great throngs of people, and they probably had a, a banquet set up for him, and he sees Zacchaeus, and he says, Zacchaeus, come down out of the tree. I'm going to your house tonight. Remember? Uh, just a couple weeks ago, we preached on the rich young ruler. Um, Frank did. And um, here was a guy who was religiously and moral upright, and the Bible says what? He went away sad. And yet, again, in John chapter 8, Jesus has a woman who is caught in the act of adultery, like caught in the act, and is brought to Jesus in, may, at best, a bedsheet, and uh, Jesus has compassion on her and offers her grace and mercy when everybody else is ready to throw the stone. And so uh, the narrative of Jesus' ministry uh, is that there's a bias toward these sinners and tax collectors, and even though Jesus sees them just as lost as the Pharisees, um, they are much more receptive to his message than those who consider themselves religious. And even today, even today, uh, I've had a lot of fun this week, and I've decided not to show you any of the clips, but I wanted to get online and say, okay, so what is the church doing today to attract the younger brother types? Right, what are they doing to attract? And I found uh, one minister out in San Francisco in an Episcopal church. It was a YouTube clip. And there were sort of the Buddhist prayer flags in the back. And, um, and she had her uh, ukulele. And there was a lady on the piano. And for the prayers of the people, they set them to the music of Lady Gaga's Bad Romance. And I thought, I bet you they're just flocking in. I bet you she's just packing it out. And of course, the answer is what? They're not, right? And you can say that that's San Francisco, but people try things all the time to be cool and hip. And there's a really great movement in the church today to reset old hymns to new music. If you've been involved with Reformed University Fellowship or if you've had an opportunity to visit uh, places like Red Mountain uh, Church uh, over in Avondale, you've heard this. And I was talking to a guy about it and said, you know, I think it's really great because I feel like the words are timeless and yet the music is reaching people. But he said that as he traveled around the country, what he found funny was that he saw like basically every worship leader wearing the same cool flannel shirt. Um, and he said, you know, so there's a huge attempt to try to relate to that younger brother culture. And yet, and yet the younger brother culture still looks at the church today, even when it tries to be hip and says, I don't think so. Now, part of it is I think that they can smell a rat. Right? I think that they can tell, uh, you know, the state motto of North Carolina is to be, to paraphrase it, to be and not to seem. Right? And so, you know, they can tell when you're seeming to be something and you're not really who you are. I, I mean, uh, I've had people at my old church at St. Helena say, well, we'd really love a contemporary service with words projected and that. And I said, it just isn't going to work. Right? It, it, because it's clearly not in the ethos and in the culture of the place, and they, they're going to see right through it. And um, so regardless of what even the sort of cutting-edge churches, and even in the Episcopal Church, which claims to be sort of progressive and, um, and with it and hip, um, most congregations are filled with graying, older folks. Now, I like older folks, uh, but you know what I'm saying? But, it's, but what I'm saying is that the young people are for some reason not attracted to it. 
They're not, we're not doing any better job than the non-denominational churches or the Bible churches in doing it. So even in those places, and including ours, the church basically draws conservative, button-down, moralistic people. Right, that's me. I talked to a campus minister recently, and I asked him what he was doing for campus ministry at a, at a university, and he said, oh, well, every Wednesday I have a communion service in the chapel. And I just thought, that's, you know, I'd love to be there. Now, no, I mean, if you're a college student, I mean, who is that going to uh, pull in? Who is that going to attract? People who like church, right? I remember as a college student, I was a Christian, and, like, I'd look over the clock on Sunday morning, and I'd think, Lord have mercy. You know? I mean, it's all I could do to go to Sunday morning, much less Wednesday afternoon. But in speaking as an older brother, like I, I mean, my disposition is generally conservative. And, um, and so, uh, you know, that uh, I'm not terribly bothered by it. But um, um, those who we might consider licentious, uh, liberated, uh, broken, and marginal, uh, they generally avoid the church. They avoid the church in general. So what does this mean? Okay, here's, here's the tough question, and, and I, I want to hear what you have to say. If the preaching of ministers and the practice of parishioners do not have the same effect on people that Jesus had, then are we declaring the same me- message that Jesus did. That's that's where I'm convicted. That's where I'm convicted. So what is um, what is the difference between the church and I mean the church in general? I'm not picking on the Advent because believe it or not, the Advent is doing remarkably well uh, in this area. And I know it's easy for me to say because I work; they pay me to say that. Um, but but I think if you looked around, you, you would see that. Uh, but the church in general, which uh, even in the Diocese of Alabama are trying so hard to attract uh, younger people, um, I guess what I would say is that the biggest difference is not so much uh, the practices, although that's part of it, um, but the message clearly uh, is not um, the same. And so I wonder for those of you, uh, when with Thanksgiving around the corner and you're going to have your younger brother types around the table and inevitably, uh, you know, after dinner, some conversation is going to come up. Um, and uh, in my family, it normally starts out with, well, I mean, you're a Christian, so let me ask you something. And then, uh, and at that point, um, I look at the bottle of wild turkey again. And I'm just kidding, I don't. Um, um, but... Um, and at that point, it normally launches into something. Uh, but And I'm not talking about, you know, I, I have family members that will try and friends that will try to play the game, convert me if you can. And they'll bring up some crazy issue in Christianity that I know they're really not dealing with. I know, but, but they just, they just want to pick a fight, basically. And I'll tell them, look, uh, I've never been able to argue anybody into the kingdom of God, and I'm not about to start, uh, so... What else would you like to talk about? Um, but, uh, but there are some uh, where it comes up where people really do uh, struggle with uh, the church. And they, may, they might even say things like, hey, I, I kind of like Jesus and, and I feel like he's okay, uh, but the church is a real hang-up for me. And, um, and that is becoming a little bit of an issue in 
uh, my Monday night 20s group. Uh, we have a Bible study for 20-somethings um, at Cranmer House at 7.30 uh, on uh, Monday nights. And normally afterward, we'll go over to Dram and, and have a drink and hang out uh, for those who want to do that. Um, but I, I have heard people say, hey, I really love Monday nights, but um, you know, I just don't know how I feel about church. And a lot of these people don't even go to, to the Advent. They just come on Monday nights uh, to this thing. And, and I know that the answer for me is to not you know, change my wardrobe to look a little more hip, because um, that's not going to happen. Um, you wear a flannel shirt. Wear a flannel shirt, yeah, and, and whatever, you know, something clunky. But, um, yeah, so I, I know that, uh, that that's, that's not going to happen. Um, but uh, nonetheless, I, I think that this is one of the biggest issues and pressing issues uh, in, in the church today. And uh, I just wonder what y'all's thoughts are about it. Say what you said earlier though, about the church having the impact that Jesus had. Yeah, I, I wrote that race. down. Yeah, Thankfully, I wrote that down. Uh, if the preaching of ministers and the practice of parishioners do not have the same effect on people that Jesus had, then are we declaring the same message that Jesus did? You know, Jesus had like a, he had a real shock value to him when he rolled up into a plaza and started preaching, you know. People would kind of say what I thought he said, you know, about, you know, the, the prostitute that they brought that they wanted to stone, and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure it didn't go over well when he's like, well, you know, you who have no sin can throw the first stone. I mean, is that the point of, I guess, the church now, going by that saying, do we need to be angular, like, mm-hmm. you know, to coin Gil's term, like Jesus was, mm-hmm. to some degree? Yeah, I mean, I think that, that... I mean, when, Je- when Jesus was preaching, they would say, I've never heard this before in my life. And what they, they heard for the first time was the gospel. And I think that in most churches that we walk into today, there's such an effort to be practical that Christianity really does become about, it's sort of, you know, it's presented more as, as this is a lifestyle that will help you order your life in such a way. So you get sermons like how a Christian should balance their checkbook. Or um, which apparently is different than anybody else, uh, and um, uh, and nobody really balances their checkbook. Or you know, um, or you know, a lot of the, you know the Christian be- bestsellers. You look at them. I mean, they're normally like five steps to to X, Y, and Z. And so Christianity is is sort of seen as a means to being happy, and and uh, rather than a message about rescue. So when the when the the sinners and the tax collectors are hearing this. Uh, they're nodding their head yes, because for most sinners and tax collectors, they don't have to go very far to go. They don't have very far to go to realize that their life is a mess. Like if I said to my brother, which, you know, my mom's always like, can you talk to him? I'm like, oh, ugh. And, um, and uh, like I don't have very far to go to, like my brother will really like, of course I don't have my act together. Like, Christopher, why'd you stay out till three in the morning and sleep in through your niece's baptism? And he's like, is that a serious question? Like he's just like, I mean, he's like, I know I shouldn't have done it, but I'm in my 20s and I'm single. Of course I'm going to be at it three in the morning. I feel bad about sleeping in, but. Right. I guess, you know, the, I agree with what you said about we should have the, that impact as a church and, you know, from the culture and everything, but the, to, to draw more people in, wouldn't, wouldn't you want to come across as more warm and fuzzy? But that's the opposite of what. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah, Jesus was... Right. That were in a, and and mm-hmm. they only brought one. Right. And so that they were not really following the law, and he pointed that out to mm-hmm. them. So I think that's where we have to challenge ourselves. Have we started holding on to um, morality and traditions of men, and not really what God mm-hmm. says mm-hmm. and what the intent of God's word mm-hmm. is? That's an interesting story. That I have. I have the son brother. Mm-hmm. Um, he's younger. I was the youngest of three. I'm the middle. And he went the toll office to correction. I grew up in a family that went to church. We weren't real religious, but we, we grew up this claim. We went. We went to EYC. He did all of that. Got to college. Drug. You know, all of that. Um, but now we get married and we kind of come around. And my mom said, I was like, okay, so how did you, because we never went to rehab or anything like that. How did you get back in the circle? And he said it was the foundation of the church and what he learned that the parents of the church taught him. Mm-hmm. So he wants to go back to church and he wants to do those things. So I look at it as <coughs> if you're, first of all, building the foundations when you're little, but having the, it's in your heart. You know, it's there, it's in your heart. If you have that in your heart, then that's what God is pushing you mm-hmm. towards the church more than the church trying to bring you in. Mm-hmm. I think it's God pushing you towards the church mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. I don't know how the church handles that, but that's how mm-hmm. you get to the church mm-hmm. more than the church saying mm-hmm. you have to be here. Mm-hmm. Of course you do that when you're little. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I would think the broad difference is <coughs> the older people, our culture primarily, is what we were brought up with, mm-hmm. and the younger people feel liberated from the constraints of that. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to join that sort of restrictive behavior oriented mm-hmm. type culture. Mm-hmm. Whereas they feel freed up and want something that's looser, more forgiving. So forth. I would think that's the main difference. Mm-hmm. Mm. At the end of the day, if the younger brothers really are accepting Christ in their hearts, mm-hmm. but they're not going to church, mm-hmm. isn't that enough for God? I mean, your yeah. Monday night group. Mm-hmm. And I don't care. If if they really are Christians, if they really are, you know, doing it inside and and, and accepting God that way, would it be nice to have them on Sunday? Sure. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, isn't that kind of the whole point of the story that Mm -hmm. it's not about whether you go to Bedside Baptist or the Mm -hmm. Church of the Advent, you know, it's about what's in your heart and Brunch at your house next week. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think 
looking, I mean, from the younger brother perspective, I think what the younger brother, and this is a misconception, this is a misconception, because I think that when they look at Christianity, what they want is something that works, that works for them. Now, whether that, what they need and what they want are often two different things, but, um, but they, I mean, what they are afraid of, and of course this is not true, but this is a misconception, is that the church is going to try to turn them into older brothers, which, and you make the point, like, that's not actually what we're after at all. And so often the, the focus is, is placed on the church, and that's where the criticisms about hypocrisy come in. And, of course, the answer to that is, yeah. Like, I mean, the church is full of hypocrites, right? That's, that's kind of the point. We're here because we are hypocrites. Um, and, uh, but the focus, instead of being on the church and on the broken people here, and even the self-righteous people, the focus being on Jesus, Right? That's, that's where the ultimate focus uh, is, is lying. And I think that so many people uh, make their decisions about Christianity based on their experience with other people. And, of course, that's, that's not the way to do it. Um, and, uh, that, um, and that's, uh, that's, that's hard to, to separate the two, I think. Uh, for them. But I do think that the, the culture is certainly searching. They're looking for something that works. And so most younger brother people, they will say, you know, I'm kind of spiritual, but I'm not religious. And and they're kind of this, like they'll pretty much try anything. Like if you invite them to church, they're probably going to come. But they'll also go do Zen meditation with you as well, or, you know, go over to the reservation and, you know, do whatever they do. Uh, my brother has done all, all kinds of stuff. And so he's sort of Whatever works for him, he sort of, and and he tried to tell me. He said, "Well, I kind of consider myself an Eastern Zen-minded Christian." And I said, "That is hogwash." And I said, "I said I, you can't articulate any Eastern religion to save your life. Uh, you just," I said, "Just you just want whatever is going to work for you." And he said, "Yeah." He said, "Yeah, that's true." He just tried to sound philosophical about it, but. Um, I guess, but in all of it, is how we deal uh, with the younger brother types. Uh, because I do imagine on that day when Zacchaeus was up in the tree, um, you know, I, there are probably a lot of people that wish that Zacchaeus would have just stayed up in the tree. And we all have those people in our lives where we just assume, like the big joke in, in uh, uh, Beaufort, which is filled with retirees. Uh, I preached one time on Zacchaeus, and it was actually this sun, uh, the Sunday before Election Day. And, um, and I said, you know, you've got all kinds of people who you hope will stay up in the trees. Democrats, you know, Republicans, uh, independents, uh, even younger brother types. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that Jesus calls them down out of the tree and says, today I'm going to eat with you. And so um, uh, I think pointing folks toward Jesus and being able to articulate the gospel uh, for what it is rather than trying to make some, you know, I, I appreciate apologetics, but... I still feel like those are sort of the convert me if you can games. Like I think you should have a reason for the hope that you have within you, but that's tough. I just feel like a lot of evangelism has turned Jesus into a beggar. It's like mm-hmm. we're willing to do anything. We'll do anything just to get you know somebody with a pulse right. into churches. Mm-hmm. And as a result, we have lots of churches filled with people who really aren't Christians. And so the world doesn't see any difference between us and them because, you know, 
Yeah, and I think, yeah, and most people, but, and what they do though is unfortunately what they do is they hook you and then they say, oh, by the way, here's a checklist of, of kind of what you need to do in order to, to get it together. And I had a, I think I told you all about this, the baptism that I did a couple weeks ago where the girl came in the office and, um, and she said, look, I've really been, uh, I, I, I want a personal relationship with Jesus. I just need someone to help me get there. And so we spent about an hour together and we talked and, and we prayed and she looked up and she had tears in her eyes and she said, what do I do now? And that's always the question. And the answer ought to be, trust Jesus. That's all you have to do. But in this case, she'd never been baptized. I said, well, let's go get you baptized. And she goes, okay, lay my calendar out. When should we do it? And I said, no, right now. Right now. Let's baptize you right now. So it was sort of an Ethiopian eunuch experience. And we just walked over. and Without the eunuch. Without the eunuch. And, and she wasn't Ethiopian. Uh, I think she's from Pensacola. But, but we went and, and we baptized her. And, and she's like, well, what do I do now? And I said, trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus and look at him. And she has all kinds of hang-ups about the church. And, and she said, but, but I, I, she said, I, the hardest thing for her to share with me, she says, but I'm a Democrat. And I said, <laughs> okay. I said, I said, all right. And I said, you know, I said, that's part of the problem. I said, you know, you don't, and, and all these other issues, you don't, God is going to sort those out. And if you put your trust in him, he's going to work in your life and uh, he, you'll be fine. So, um, so I hope that we have some compassion and sympathy on those folks. Uh, and speaking of which, I've got to go deal with the 11 o'clockers. So let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you uh, for this parable and the challenge that it presents to us. Uh, but Lord, that it ultimately points toward you. And there's so much in here that we didn't uh, unpack. Uh, Lord, we find that the younger brother goes into the banquet and is restored uh, to the family and the community. And yet there the older brother sits on the outside looking in. And so, Lord, that you would give us hearts that love you above all uh, and thereby are engendered to have compassion on both older and younger brothers alike. In Jesus' name, amen.